Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. Okay, this is Matt Rupp from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence. Welcome to Walden University's 10th Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass. The masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be mentoring chapters four and five. The purpose of today's session is to develop a series of strategies for how to mentor students through chapters four and five. And today's moderator is uh, Dr. Lee Statlander, and I'm gonna hand it over to Lee, who's gonna introduce our, our, our panelists and, and get the discussion started. Lee? Thank you. Um, I'm Lee Statlander, and I am the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. So let's introduce our panel of exceptional mentors. Um, Leslie, could you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Dr. Leslie Hussey. I am the coordinator for the nursing PhD program, and I have been with Walden for now uh, almost 11 years. Awesome. And Denise? Hi, I'm Dr. Denise Land, and I am an academic faculty coordinator with the DBA, Doctor of Business Administration. I have been with Walden University for 14 years. And Bob? Glad you made it, by the way. Oh, you're, you're muted. Myself, I just got in, thank you. Been having a little technical difficulties the last few days. I'm glad to be with you all. I'm Bob Levasseur, I'm from the School of Management. I've been with Holden for 20 years now, teaching uh, most of those years in the doctoral program and mentoring students. Very good. So today we're gonna to talk about chapters four, which is data analysis, and chapter five, which is interpretation. So how do you have students approach chapter four? Anybody wants to start, it's fine. Yeah, I'll just start. Uh, one of the things I think is most important is for the students to start, as we say, set times uh, with the end in mind. To me, the, the, I, I get them immediately focused on the goal, which is to collect valid data to answer their research questions. And I keep reminding them that throughout the process so that they understand their objective is to answer the research question and keep them from wandering off into uh, various and strange areas that may relate, especially in the qualitative research, that may relate to their interview questions and be of great interest to them, but not necessarily address the purpose of their study. And also this whole notion of what is valid data? How do you collect valid data, quantitative or qualitative? How do you ensure it's valid? Uh, because this is their first rodeo. All the technical, all the theoretical knowledge that they have, they have no know-how of how to put it together and, and get an actual answer. And so that's that's where I start off. I can, I, that's, that's a great place to start. Um, I approach it, I'm, I'm more of a quantitative expert than qualitative. And uh, with my students that do quantitative, I take a look at their spreadsheets to see how they've coded their data. And um, I always 
they're having some difficulties with statistics, we can go through some of the basics, but I always refer them to our excellent statisticians in the RDS um, who help them work through some of it. Um, I think some of the common issues that they struggle with is understanding the statistical analysis that they're doing. So they have to kind of go back and review all that and, uh, and certainly understand the assumptions that they have to test in order to make sure that uh, those assumptions are met or if they see if they're met or, or not met for their analysis and if they have to change it. So we have a bit of a discussion if they're having some issues with that and um, taking their Excel, Excel spreadsheets to a statistician in, in proper coded format, which takes them some time, <laughs> which or saves them some time if they have it coded. <laughs> Great suggestions. Um, I, I just want to put a plug in for the uh, one of the master mentor sh uh, sessions we had recently, data integrity. Great session on how to check our students' um, data and make sure it's good data for them to move forward because that's one of the it's the foundation of whatever's going to move forward. And one of the things, you know, this is this is the fun part, right? We get to get the data, we get to find out what that data says, we get to put it into, into results. And it's, it's one of the things that I find most crucial is helping students get the energy to do that right <laughs> and do it, do it correctly and do it well and get through both, both the um, process of doing the data analysis and putting it into the results um, for appropriate presentation of those findings that would be accurate representation of the data and then into the format that's needed within uh, presentation of the of the results so it's it's really helping the students get that motivation and momentum to continue continue that work i think that's a great point that we need to emphasize a little bit how by the time students are at this point they are usually so tired of their study mm -hmm. they right. need that extra push i think to get it done and finish and pay attention to what they're doing also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, I try to put in little um, words of encouragement and telling them that, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting a little brighter because you're getting closer and they're doing great work. Um, and, and I get feedback on that, that that really does help them, that encourage them to, um, to write chapter four and see what the results are and not to be disappointed in their, findings or their results because sometimes you know they're not expecting or they go in with this they're doing a, a correlational study and they're expecting some significant relationship because they're going to change the world and uh, they don't get that result and they're and they're um, disappointed in that but then we have to have a talk about why it's okay to find what you find and just uh, um, just state what the findings are and there, no matter what the findings are, and there's meaning. And that's when we get into chapter five, but that they have to understand the meaning of that so that they can progress. Right. So sometimes we, there's a little pep talk that goes into some of this. Of course, we all do that. Well, getting, sure. getting rid of the bias that we come, you know, we come into with right. the answer. I want to find the stuff that confirms my answer. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, we got to get rid of that. And and let the data tell us what what we um, what the results are. And one of the um, things is to keep keep getting the data, especially in a qualitative study where you're where you're gathering qualitative data from participants, uh, interviews, organization documents, public documents. 
don't just be satisfied with what you can find on the surface. Do your member checking, do your, your um, semi-structured interviews with depth across your participants and, and uh, really look for in-depth data to then go find your findings, not just take the surface level that you that immediately bubbles up, but to take the time to get a good quantity of data. Yeah. I think okay. often they are in such a hurry to get done with the interviews. They're not spending the time to really think about what the person is saying as they're talking and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the first questions I always ask is, and how long did that interview take? And when they're saying 10 or 15 minutes, like you're not doing it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a great, there's another great session that was, that's in the Ord Center is qualitative interviewing tutorial. Great session on all kinds of interviewing that goes along with qualitative study. It is, yeah. So what other issues do you see in chapter four? Well, one of the issues I see is that they like to put all their data, uh, they cut and paste their tables from Excel or SPSS right into the in, into the template, which aren't APA. Um, and then they tell me they they can't do it that way. They have to do it the way it comes out of SPSS. <laughs> like, well, it's not going to work. So I have to go back and reconfigure those. Um, but also just understanding and being able to explain their results. And um, they, they really, when you, you, the point you made before is to take the time with qualitative data to go in and really understand it and with quantitative data. They need to, they want to get done. They're, you know, they, they just want to graduate. We know they're over it and they want to progress, but they really need to take the time to digest it and really understand it because they've got to explain it to us on their final defense. So rushing through it doesn't help. They need to really understand it. And that takes some extra time too. So those are some of the other comments and, and what I do to spend some time with them so that they truly understand what they're analyzing and what the results are or the findings are. Yeah, I'd like to build on that. I, I totally agree that you have to spend some time with them because again, as I, as I mentioned to me, I've, even the folks I work with who are extremely good at analysis in their own field, I'm thinking engineers here and folks like that who do it for a living, uh, consultants, et cetera, don't yet, don't necessarily understand what they're doing uh, enough to do the analysis properly. So I have to work with all of them. I tell them I'm coming along for the ride, give me your data, I'm gonna do it in parallel. We're gonna talk about what you got. You're gonna tell me what you got. And if I see a problem, I'll show you how to work, what you have to work on to get it to, to come out right. And I think that's a big part of the learning process because we obviously our goal is to get them to the finish line, but also to teach them how to do research. And, and I've had many students of that kind I mentioned before who have made fundamental errors and not realized it. And then when they realized, as we discussed it, they were profoundly impacted in, in use their own words in the fact that they needed to really understand what they were doing when they did their own research from now on, not assume that because they did the regression analysis at work that somehow they knew all about regression analysis or anything else that they might be using to do their analysis. So I wanted to piggyback on that because I've had a little experience with, with these types of people, and I'm an engineer myself, so I mean, I get it, but at the same time, 
it is something you have to pay attention to. And part of it comes from, well, I want to finish. And the other part comes from, I know what I'm doing. And well, let's just see. We'll do it together. It's that let's just see part that takes some time. <laughs> so do you check your students' analyses? Yes. Uh, yes. 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 I ask them to show, I ask them to sh uh, show me their process, walk me through what they did as they put it in into place. So they've got to be able to show me something uh, mm -hmm. to to check and, and explain it to me. How did you come to this result? Show me the original data, show me the steps that you went through, the phases, whatever process they used. Uh, and there is a question in the chat. I don't know if this is the appropriate time for it about, uh, I lost it now, iterative pro uh, continuous iterative process. Bob, they wanted you to explain that. <laughs> did, did I say that? It sounds no, really- no, somebody asked. Somebody asked for your explanation of it. Yeah, it's continuous iterative process, absolutely. I mean, the process is one where you, you're never done until you're done, like uh, Yogi Berra would have said, right? If he were an academician, you, what you're really saying is, hey, as we move along, we may discover something that requires us to move back a step or two in what we're doing and examine if we took a wrong turn there. It might be a slight one. It might be a big one. But the idea is be open to the fact that I look at it and I say, that's good. But at this point, you kind of did take a wrong turn. We have to, that sort of invalidates, at least until we've examined it, what you've already done. Let's go back and check it again. So it's a continuous process, but iteration is required at times, uh, just as it is when somebody says, I don't like uh, the, uh, the theoretical framework for your study. You ought to have this in there. So you can stop and go get it and put it in and make it sense of the whole. And that's a continuous process that's been, that you've had to iterate because you've got an important input that, that suggests how you could make your study better or that needs to be done in order to bring it up to the required standard. We also had a question from Nicole about how much handholding do you offer during the analysis stage? Much to start with. <laughs> and and I saw the question included something about teaching or handholding. Sometimes right. we do need to teach. I mean, I think more often than not, we need to assume we need to teach it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want to, I'm not, they're just learners. They're novice researchers in most cases, unless we know something different. So, it, so we are teaching them how to go through the process. And Depending on the research courses in the classes and the ones what they've been exposed to, they may may need less hand holding, but but they really need to. We need to understand that they understand the process and yeah. that what they're doing is is accurate and appropriate to be doing. And if they can demonstrate that without a lot of our hand holding, or they just show it to us, that's great. If if we aren't aren't uh, comfortable with their competence, then we need to go in and teach it. And right that's our responsibility as a chair. Right, and I, I agree with that. I've done uh, a lot of hand-holding and I mean, crying on my shoulder, virtual shoulder <laughs> kinds of things. And just, they struggle to understand the, the, the concepts of, of how to compare groups or <clears throat> how to, or what it actually means to do a regression and, and what that outcome is giving them. So, 
we sit there and, you know, I'll send them back and give them resources and give them articles to read. I, I've got some standard ones that I use uh, that are very good in explaining things. Uh, the methodologists that work with me on qualitative studies, because I'm not uh, a qualitative expert, they work with them and, and really give the articles and help them get through it. So um, I guess whatever it takes, I, I do get to a point where they've, they've got to make, if I see that they're making the effort, I will go as much effort as I can. But if they're just sitting back and expecting me to do it, then we have to have an adjustment <laughs> to the handholding uh, strategy because um, they've got to put the effort in and then I will too. They got to meet me at least halfway. And and then if they're not, I'll, t I'll tell them, yeah, I don't see the effort from you here. I don't, I don't see that you're really you're trying and this is your study um, and you've got to really understand this. So it kind of goes both ways. You've got to see that effort from the student. Right. As a chair, I don't want to be more concerned about their study than they are. Right. Exactly. Right. I shouldn't be working right. harder than they are. Right. <laughs> exactly. At all. <laughs> right. Let's shift to chapter five. Um, so we're at the final chapter. They're exhausted, but they have to interpret all this. So how do you approach this? Well, I, I let them do a draft. Um, I try to specify about the interpretation section because that's usually where they struggle the most. What I usually get in that section is a regurgitation of the results mm -hmm. with no comparison or contrasting of the literature. So. Um, I tell them that and usually they'll put the results in there with all the values or all the findings or all the themes. And then I take a big red line and cross it all mm -hmm. out and say, just summarize this and compare your findings to the literature. And I give them some language in order to do that. Or, you know, similarly, so-and-so found this to support my study or in contrast, so-and-so found that. So I'll give them some mm -hmm. little templates to use in that interpretation section, and then let them take it for a second draft and see what they get. But those are, that's the mm -hmm. biggest, one of the biggest stumbling blocks in chapter five is the interpretation section. Yeah. Interpreting and matching into the literature, um, comparing and contrasting, giving it their voice that, that, okay, this is what this means, especially in the areas where they're looking for um, recommendations for action, those types of things is what does what do these findings mean in, in comparison to the literature, uh, in comparison to what's already out there, and uh, how can they articulate their voice? They've now become the expert in this area. Right. What does that mean, Bob? Any thoughts? Oh, I agree. I mean, uh, the uh, definitely most students are tired. They do not really want to do all that good stuff. They may not understand what, what the difference is and what uh, Leslie and Denise have talked about is often required. Very few students do a really good job of on this, uh, the interpretation from the first draft, so to speak. So uh, we have to work with them. And what I keep reminding them is you're almost there and what you do now is going to be as reflective of the quality of your work as, as the really good work you've done so far. So think about it, you know, take a break, go out and relax for a little while. If you have to take a day off, or do something right. else, but come back fresh and ready to go mm -hmm. and, and give yeah. it your best. 
I always say you want to be proud of this in five years, yeah, in 10 years, in 20 yeah. years. I tell them the story of my dissertation is, an, is a bound dissertation. It's, that's what my school did. Right. It's on a shell, shell in my guest room. People do, and I didn't even know it was in there for the longest time. But people come out and tell me, you know, I just read this great book. <laughs> it, is, and it is a book, isn't it? <laughs> it is a book. It's a, you know, it's a half-inch book. And, uh, you know, you want people to who might come across later and read your dissertation or your doctoral study. You want to be proud of that, what they, which you Oops. see in there. Yeah, you're tired now, but you want to be proud in 5, 10, 20 years. Um, when somebody else sees it. And believe me, when we do interviews with contributing faculty that come into the university, we go look at their dissertation. What kind of, what quality of work did they do? And if we have concerns, we're assuming those concerns still exist. And that might've been five, 10, 20 years ago. So yeah, good point. Good point. Yes. And, and to take that break, I think about, like Bob said, to step back from it for a couple of days, they, they're, you know, they want to get done so bad, like you got to take a break from this. Or the other thing that they don't like to hear, and sometimes they have to do is they have to update the review of literature, because I've had students that have taken for a variety of reasons, a year or more to, to collect their data because of leaves of absence or whatever. So their review of literature is a bit dated. So they've got to go back and mm -hmm. perhaps update it, find a couple new articles that yeah. can be put into chapter five. So um, they, but that, that thinking through the process. And like you said, Denise, with letting their voice be heard um, is, is so important in that section. Mm -hmm. Their, their voice based on the results that, right. Um, I saw a question or a comment in the chat about what, what happens when they say something that doesn't connect to the data. That's our job to say, wait, where, show me where that is in the data. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's that, wonderful, but where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> right. A lot of a lot of the students in nursing will say, and, and this will solve the nursing shortage. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't quite think it might help a little bit, but let's put this in perspective, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. We haven't mentioned about theory. Do you have problems with student relating their study to the theory? Good percentage of the time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and often it's because they didn't they don't understand the theory or they're not really saturated, grounded in that theory and, and not thinking in the theory quite yet. And so what I try to do in those situations is, is, and I tried to do this sooner versus later, is to have the student tell me the theory, share with me the theory. What does that theory look like out there in the world? Uh, you know, if I was thinking of this theory, what are scenarios or examples I would think about to see that theory in action? And then when they, they're looking at their results, okay, what, what are you seeing in those results that equates to that theory? So now I have a pictorial uh, vision of, of what it could be and then explain that back to me. And if it doesn't fit, what else fits? Mm -hmm. But be really clear about what, what are the possibilities for it fitting? Where does it fit? Um, what are the specific tenets or elements of that theory, the framework that they're using um, that fit with your results? Uh, and then, you know, who would agree with you? What other scholars agree with you in regard to that? Right. Thanks. And it would be okay if there's if their findings or their what they've done possibly don't support every piece of the theory. It may not. 
That's why it's called a theory <laughs> or a framework. Right. Uh, it, it may not. And that's okay. They have, sometimes they're, I don't know if it's a, if it's a fear or thinking that they're wrong about it, but if it doesn't have them quite fit, then they can say that too and how it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Here you need to change a little bit. Right. We had a question about how do you redirect students who have an agenda, but the data doesn't support their agenda? <laughs> you, well, you, just, uh, <laughs> you want to go first, Bob? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know Leslie has some thoughts on this. Uh, I, I certainly, my first reaction was, well, uh, you, you need to rewrite what you just said. I mean, they don't get away with it. That's all. They have to finally come around through whatever means it takes. It's a, it's a one-on-one conversation. And it's fine. Sometimes, not very often, it's a come-to-Jesus meeting where we say, look, this is what we talked about at the beginning. You you, you understood then, and we had to be objective. You were very good through the whole process. And now I've seen a little bit of that older conversation, you know, and, and, and the, the roots of it here, and none of it is related to what you've learned. I mean, what you found, excuse me. So if whatever you found is is what determines what you can say, uh, not the other way around, not what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how to say that very eloquently, but the, the, the point is to have the conversation and mm-hmm. or just use the red pen and say, you know, write it till I'm happy that it's not uh, a, a leap rather than or a stretch rather than an obvious extension or a, or a problem with that you've discovered uh, not a problem but a, a, something about the, the theory that you've discovered that maybe suggests that somebody ought to look at this again and that could happen in our ever-changing world where somebody says i use this theory but no no i got this uh finding this is maybe there's a piece that was left out and i say great that you put it in your recommendations for future study because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it looks like you ought to do that study yep. and so forth. Or that's your next study to do. Absolutely. But I use that uh, comment about this is beyond the scope of your study. Oh, yes. Uh, justify this or um, you know, we get on the phone together. I, I'm not quite sure what you're thinking here about, <laughs> about the, your, impl- your implications for the study. But uh, how can you justify that? So. Then they kind of think, mm-hmm. oh yeah, well maybe I'm a little bit. You're, I'm stretching it a bit. Like yeah, you are. So mm-hmm. well, <laughs> to, and to sometimes, sometimes they do a, a wording change that stretches the scope of the study. That um, that wasn't the word. Was that in, that wasn't necessarily the intent of the wording that was in the data or the information that was in the data. And so they, but then they use alternative wording and it totally changes the meaning mm. of what the original meant and uh you know which puts it out of context or out of um synchronization with with the data and, and it's bringing it back to focus on on uh exactly what we're we're looking at right in, in that but they bring up in in quantitative studies, they'll say, you know, if they're disappointed, it wasn't significant between the two groups or whatever. Um, They'll say, but the means between the two groups, this one got better after this time, and they did get higher scores, even though it wasn't significant. (laughs) Like, well, (laughs) we're not going to go that deep, because that's not how we analyze. We can't, we can't go there. And we have to explain, you know, go why we're not going to look at it we're not going to go looking for significance when there isn't any. 
So, um, yeah, well, yeah. Sorry, dude. On that point, I just I just have uh, had a few students who just quantitative students who who were like that. And what one particular thing I found interesting is th that they had a lot of data students, and so they got significant findings. And, and clearly, uh, however, based on other aspects of the study, such as the degree to which the, uh, the uh, underlying model explained the variation in the independent variable, it was very, very slight predictive model. I mean, as in as weak a predictive model as you could have, but the, the correlation was, I mean, the significance of the individual factors, i.e. independent variable was extremely high. Well, that happens a lot if you're an eco econometrician or something, and great, you got thousands, thousands of data points, but haven't no one is significant. Doesn't mean it explains a whole heck of a lot. So be careful you don't just easily gloss over that and say, well, because of this, it's really important that everybody start doing what I just found because it was highly significant. That's the kind of thing I find is problematic to me because I usually I've talked to these people before about, and I know their biases, and that is easy to spot, and unfortunately, all too often comes up. Uh, and I don't say also, I, I don't mean every day, but I don't like you know, if you have 10% of your students who are doing that, it's because they really are passionate, but we have to help them understand they can't make that kind of state. Mm -hmm. If it's weak, it's weak. If it's significant or not, is the point I'm making. <laughs> right. The one thing I want to just emphasize that you guys have said is that you are not just reading for APA. You are reading much more in depth in these chapters. You are interpreting what the student is saying. You're paying attention to the results and looking at it in chapter five, seeing if it's consistent. So this is a much deeper read than just surface. And right, and it's really understanding what is the process that they're using, uh, having confidence in their process that they're doing it, doing whatever the process is they're doing correctly and going through it. And I saw the question, a question in the chat about one of the uh, most significant issues of, of the data, qualitative data analysis is the students don't understand the amount of time it's going to take to do their transcribing, mm -hmm. uh, how detailed a transcript really is and how, you know, transcript could be 40 pages. Um, and you're gonna have a number of those that are 40 pages long. And the amount of time it takes to then go through the process to, to get to the themes that, that are identified from all of their interviews. And uh, students often don't understand how much time that's going to take and haven't really walked through an in-depth process of doing that. So uh, I like to have my students do a practice interview. They in our program, they also do a practice interview in their in their qualitative research course, but, but I also like to have them do it for me and then to show me what is your interview process, how do you go through the semi-structured interviews, and sometimes I have them interview me, sometimes I have them show me a video of them interviewing somebody else, and then we then we look at, okay, now how long is it going to take to transcribe that, and we do a short one, now times that by 10. <laughs> uh, and then how do you move that through the coding to the themes? To, and so you have confidence that, that they're handling the data, they're gathering and handling the data appropriately. And then, okay, go do your six more interviews or whatever it is they need to do for, for their process. Um, a lot of students think they can get to the end of that process really fast and uh, don't know that it takes a lot of time. <laughs> right.
And there's a, a comment in the chat about the self-paced uh, qualitative, I didn't see it all, the, the, yep. from ORDS that's going to be available. And also in residency four, hey. we have different <laughs> tracks now where the students can take qualitative methods or quantitative methods, the different tracks instead of the general one. I mean, they have greater, they have a great variety of options. So those are helpful as well. Yeah. I'm glad that tutorial is coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Very right. happy to have that. Yes. So do we have questions that people would like to ask from the audience? Matt can unmute you and let you ask them if you'd like. Yeah, if you can go, if you have a question, if you raise your hand, then I can unmute you. And while we're waiting for that, um, real quick, comments on the abstract on how you go about having your student get that in correct form. Well, I have them use the template that's available on the website. Um, and I have the template in my head and all the different pieces that are there and give them a guide into what they're supposed to do. Typically what they leave out is recommendations for future research and the positive social change aspect at the end. Um, those are two common things. And I kind of let them take a stab at it themselves by using the template and see where they're at. And then I can give them more guidance as to what needs to be put in there and what in what kind of wording, because it usually comes back longer than a page mm -hmm. um, because they want to explain everything that they've done in the abstract. Yeah. So. Being a succinct writer is really important in the right. abstract <laughs> so they can get in the most amount of information because whoever's reading this hasn't read the rest of your documents, so they don't know. It, that's got to be your your uh, summary in a nutshell but it so it needs to be detailed but it the wording needs to be succinct so the the order of wording uh, really following the template going down the checklist and we have wonderful checklists saying it's really important to keep them out there and use them <laughs> i mean i've been working here 14 years and i still print it out next to a paper i review <laughs> you too i have it on my third screen that. Students yes. to do that, okay. I'm not ashamed to say I need this piece of paper. <laughs> I mean, it goes with me on vacation because, of course, I'm going to have to review the document. document <laughs> it's a great vacation uh, side trip is is reviewing. Yep, <laughs> great, great aspect to vacations. They come yep. with. <laughs> I do want to throw in a plug that in ORDS we do offer abstract reviews for students that are almost done. Um, they can make an appointment and we try to do them by email for them. So it turns around quickly, but they make an appointment technically. So. That's great. And Lee, it looks like we have uh, Mark Gordon has raised his hand. So Mark, I'm going to open your microphone up here. Great. I, I mostly just wanted, I just wanted to uh, bother Bob, <laughs> um, one of my Walden buddies. I didn't realize you've been here this long, Bob. Um, so you, all four of you have made me feel bad about myself. Um, <laughs> oh, we're sorry. <laughs> that was our purpose. And, no, and, yes, and yes. here's why. And here's why. I, sometimes I'm not sure how much um, time I can spend with all of my students. It's the, do, do you do the same with 
every one of your students or do you tailor the kind of work that you do with them based on their comfort level and your trust in their ability? Full stop. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it's depends. whatever they need. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but but it's never, never does anyone, well, anyway, I, I never let anyone just go ahead and because I think they're really rolling in chapter four, go ahead and do their analysis, tell me what they got and take it at face value. I always mm -hmm. move along with them through the process and do the analysis myself and, and compare notes with them because I'm trying to teach them how to do this as well as they can. They can't. And I don't necessarily, based on my experience, believe that prior credentials, like I said, even those are supposed to be analytical people in quantitative research necessarily understand what we are asking them to do. And having been a consultant and use regression analysis, all kinds of other tools, we didn't use it the same way as consultants. We didn't have all the requirements that we have here for students who are doing academic work. So the answer is, yeah, there's a lot. I do it a lot more than, than I would necessarily like to do. I, I love the occasional student who comes along and is totally driven by what they're doing and they're qualitative and they're really good at that. And boy, this is fun, but that doesn't happen every time. <laughs> I've noticed in my the proposal oral, I'll end up spending a good five or 10 minutes reminding, doing a little coaching before I they go out and do data collection. But I really like that idea. I think, Denise, maybe you have it where you do um, a practice interview mm -hmm. and transcribing. I, wow, I, for me, right. that's a big takeaway. I think that's well, a really great and idea. And I actually, I actually do um, evening, uh, once a week sessions with my students and we'll do, a, we'll do it right there. You know, okay. because a lot of times- I'm gonna send my students over to you, Denise. <laughs> Sometimes I do invite the general DBA population. <laughs> and then there's sometimes I don't even know who this person is in there. It's like, well, <laughs> we're not saying anything harmful. And I guess they can stay. <laughs> but it really helps them with, with um, activities they're going to do, even things like APA and scholarly writing and their comfort of present presenting because students do these presentations also I mean it's just it's not just faculty that do these presentations it's students that present to students and y'all know you gotta you gotta know it well to teach it well right <laughs> right thank you any other comments on that one the code for this podcast is alpha Eight one three. All right. So, other comments, just in general, we've got maybe five minutes left. Anything that you would like to mention that we haven't touched on? Maybe advice for new faculty that are just starting to mentor their students on this section. One of the things I was going to say was that one of the things I try to get my students comfortable with is sharing their writing with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, by the time they're to four and five, the end of the document, they're more comfortable with their scholarly writing, hopefully. And so to get them to share what they're doing with each other so that each other can proofread and give some constructive feedback. The hard part is getting the constructive feedback. They love to say great things, <laughs> which is really nice, but but uh, it's 
how can they give some constructive feedback to really genuinely bring out the scholarship in when what the other student's doing? But it helps them also see, well, this is what they're doing. I can do something similar on my topic or or going the direction because they're not always um, they're tired of looking at their stuff. <laughs> right. So getting an opportunity to look at somebody else's can be helpful. It's good experience, if nothing else. Right. Right. I also think that by this, by chapters four and five in the process, you've got, as chair, you've got a really, hopefully a really good relationship with the student and they trust you yep. and, um, and and that you can, they'll listen to what you say, maybe a little easier at this point in, in the, in the process than at the beginning, because you've been holding their hand and helping them through and mentoring them all along. So, you know, in order to progress till the end and do that final defense. They, I think I, I rely a lot on the relationship I have with the student that they, that they trust what I'm saying. And that if I don't know, I'm certainly going to go find out from mm -hmm. a statistician or from my methodologist or from someone who, who knows more than I do. Cause I certainly tell them I don't have all the answers, but we'll go and find out what those are. So I think it's the, the relationship that you've established that helps them you can drag them to the end, I guess, <laughs> when they're so tired of um, of the study and, and get them through to where I just know when they're done. I can just see it in their writing. I can see it in their confidence and, and hear it in their voice mm -hmm. when they're doing that final defense, which is so satisfying and so fulfilling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I, I came to mind earlier when you asked the question, Lee, was uh, I, I think students when they're approaching this process at the end, as I said, because it's new, they have never done it before. They've learned, read an awful lot about it. It's like a, I, I took classes in swimming, but I've never been in the water. Well, the first time somebody tosses you in the water, it's a whole new experience. <laughs> so, it looks so, so easy. <laughs> <laughs> so my thing is, I, uh, I'm, I'm wired this way, so it's not a thing. It's the wrong way to say it. Is if, and we all obviously really care about these students, and as you do. And so the we is important. It's important to get across to students. I'm with you. I've been with you all the way along. I'm with you now. And so you got to do the work, but I'll be there with you. Right. And, and I think of that as sort of an analogy, like a, at that point, I'm a Sherpa helping somebody summit the top of the mountain. You can't do it without me. I'm the one who knows which trails have been washed out and which haven't. And what, where you might you know, be in, in your tiredness, take a wrong step and we've lost you. But you need to take those steps. And so I go along, but I'm not the one leading you all the way that you have to move forward. I follow right behind you. We, we talk at night about what we're doing next. That's the best analogy I can use. I use it with my students a lot. They seem to get it. Good analogy. I like that. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you all so much. I do want to put a little plug in for our next master class. It will actually be the last in the PhD series. We're going to then do a series on professional doctorates. Um, the next one will be on May 12th, and it's going to be Mentoring Difficult Students. And that will have Glenn Penny, Mark Gordon, and Gina Dyson. So I encourage you to come to that. Thank you, everybody. So appreciate your time and your expertise. You guys were wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. thank you very much. And thank you Pleasure. to our audience.
Thank you, and Lee. Just to let you know, I posted in the in the chat there the link to the Masterclass SharePoint site. Oh, thank so you. That's where everybody can access the recordings and resources. They're also in the Commons as well, as, as somebody mentioned earlier. Um, but I believe the registration links for upcoming sessions are on that Masterclass page. So that's kind of your all-in-one place for for the resources regarding these sessions. Perfect. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate all you did. Thank you all. Thank you to uh, to the participants today, and thank you to our to our great uh, set of panelists. And we just hope you all enjoyed the discussion. And, and everybody has what's today Thursday. Yeah, weekend's coming, so we hope you all enjoy the rest of your day and have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and doctoral services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons.